Welcome to Speak Sex. I am your host, Steve Eurydice. I am uh, still in quarantine in Miami Beach. We are um, in the middle of this uh, pandemic, which feels brand new to us, but it's like not new in the history of our humankind. Um, my guest today is in DC. Her name is Kimberly Pendleton. And she, Kimberly Rose, <laughs> she's a sexual empowerment coach and a PhD in sexology from uh, George Washington University. She got her master's from Yale and she's a certified sexual coach. coach and she um, specializes in women's empowerment, feminism, sexuality, sexual healing, uh, the, the healing of, of sexual trauma through sexual experience. So my understanding of it, she, she'll speak to it, I'm sure, for the next hour, is <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the turning around, right? The, the kind of like, um, I'm going to say psychic uh, alchemy that happens when we manage to turn our, our trauma into power. Um, so, and, and how, you know, it's easier said than done. It sounds actually so lovely, <laughs> mm. right? Like most metaphors do, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the work on the ground within one psyche, you know, of, of, you know, finding a way to not be threatened by what hurt you and instead embrace it and, and find yourself in that is, uh, is major. So welcome mm. to the podcast, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you are known because you set up this uh, community for women um, who are, you know, sexually, let's say, brave and eager called Uncover. And you do uh, workshops, retreats, you have a group. I think you'll tell us all about it. That's how I, I heard about you. And what interests me right now, and I know that that's just my own personal interest, but I would like to weave it in the conversation, is, you know, the word uncovered, being a lingu mm. linguist of all things uh, that, that, that create meaning that changes the way we live our lives, right? So we have a language, basically, that creates our social conditioning because it creates our brain just as we learn to speak and then we go from there. So I hear uncovered and I don't know if that was your intention, but to me, it, it reminds me of taking off the veil, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, which is actually the, the true meaning of the apocalypse, you know, the revelation. Yes. <laughs> so many people are like, we're in the middle of an apocalypse. And, you know, and so um, to me, you know, the word uncovered is something that has had heavy meaning for women, for thousands of years right and it was always the body or the face or the um or or both you know but for sure the head <laughs> of the woman that was covered for for reasons of you know shame which was really control uh, of the of the feminine by you know her keepers her father yeah. her family her tribe the chief um you know, the husband, of course, eventually. Um, 
I remember both of my grandmas never left the house without some sort of headgear on. Mm. Um, and, you know, nowadays in the you know late 20th, early 21st century, we kind of associated with one religion. But really, like, you know, all of those Judeo-Christian religions had that tradition at some point or other. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Jews, the Christians, uh, mine were Orthodox Christians, you know, the Muslims, of course. Um, it's one of the kind of like, visual cues of of a woman who is controlled <laughs> so i have, totally yeah, so i have felt like uh wow you know with this pandemic it's like you know it's almost like us women telling the guys you know join our apocalypse you know it's like for the first time this is like a gender neutral experience right <laughs> mm, totally i know and it's like let them try to go jogging in a mask for like a while, you know, let, yeah. <laughs> let cisgender gender men like, you know, uh, get to experience what, you know, what it has been like to be a woman for so many generations, you know, going right. around with your face covered, your mouth covered, you can't be heard properly, you, you know, you can't breathe, <laughs> take like a full breath. Um, and you're supposed to live your life like that in public, which is why so many women traditionally have chosen to just be in like women's quarters, basically right. like now, right? In physical right. social isolation where they can be like free and uncovered. Um, mm. And I'm sure, uh, I mean, I don't, they haven't done a, a kind of anthropological study of this and I guess it's not urgent, but I am sure without a doubt that it's much easier for the women of the world to go through this than men because we have an experience both genetically, you know, generationally, I mean, but but also even in pregnancy, you know, women can yeah. like take to their bed or or after giving birth, you know, they stay home. We're kind of used to being forced to, you know, to be kept. <laughs> to stay inside. That is such a good point. Women inside. Yeah, kept out of circulation. <laughs> yeah. You're so, so right. Right. So it's like it took a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, but yes. there is a sweet pleasure in all of that. <laughs> Definitely. It's like, how do you like it, men of the Western world? <laughs> right, right. And you can see already they're reacting oh my like, God, they're going oh nuts. my gosh, you know, my freedom's being taken away with any restrictions on their bodies, their movement, what they can do and stay outside. And I think you're absolutely right. It's like, okay, welcome to the party. (laughs) Yeah, this is what you, yeah, this is what you expected from us, right? For so long, you know, so that we could be like, good. (laughs) Exactly. It's a tiny experience for them, you know, because of course, you know, it's not, it's not enforced. In the East, it's it's more enforceable, you know, in autocratic regimes. But here, I guess they can just they can. do what they want. But it's a tiny experience of like the Free the Nipple, you know, campaign. And everybody was like, what's wrong with them? You know, all these crazy women. It's like, well, I don't know. You know, the guys get to show their little like useless nipple, nipples all the time. And no one looks again. And that's that. And we... we we have nipples that actually like give li- life, <laughs> and 
and we have to keep them covered or be shamed, right. you know, shamed in crazy ass ways. Um, yeah. And then because of all that emphasis on all that, you know, we end up like taking, having surgery and pain and enhancement to make it look a certain way. Like why, you know, why is this happening only to our gender? It makes no sense, you know, in a, in a feminist or supposedly like, you know, equalitarian society. So anyway, Uncovered. Tell us a little bit um, about, you know, what Uncovered is, your members, uh, where you're going with it, and maybe your inspiration for the name. Um. Yes, well, I love that you brought up the true meaning, or at least etymology of apocalypse, because I think you're right. Not all of us know that. I certainly haven't always known that, but that it's really that uncovering. And it feels like there is something I notice with my clients and in myself that the true uncovering did require a willingness to kind of destroy your life, not to be, mm. you know, so intense about it, but it really has felt that way mm. where I think about the moments where sexual liberation or encountering a deeper experience of your own pleasure, you know, it feels to most of my clients and has felt to me like that move is so dangerous. You know, it's going to, ruin my life. <laughs> and it's sort of true, you know, like a lot of things won't stay in place. Um, if you really start to listen to that voice or heal your sexuality or be bolder, be stronger. And, you know, that's usually exactly what needs to happen for something new to be built instead that is more free so it's like things will fall apart and then they'll come back together and it all ends up feeling ultimately better because you're not living under this kind of shroud of shame and guilt and thinking that everything you do has to be perfect and you know this kind of very fragile way of of being so I love first of all that you just immediately picked up on that. And, you know, I think that the wordplay is absolutely relevant of like, we see these conversations around literally women being covered up, whether it's, you know, modesty, purity culture and evangelical Christianity or discussions about the veil, thinking about even like nuns and Hasidic Jewish women and, you know, kind of all the different ways that, women cover especially their hair and faces as you were saying and that kind of on the flip side there's also this deeper layer of covering up that even you know if you're not covering your head in that literal way you might still be covering up in all these other ways just trying to be good as you said be the good woman the good mom the good wife fit into any of these rules that ends up getting really destabilized if you start to uncover too much, <laughs> both literally and figuratively, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's a kind of like, you know, for us, it's always been like so visible, you know, 
Right. I, I, I do feel that men are covered too because this, this sure. you know, this whole masculinity keeps them like under that, um, what do you may call it? Like, let's say the armor, <laughs> the, yeah. the armor of manhood. Um, and they do, you know, uh, get to pay a price, a so, you know, a, a price in social status if like they take on the tropes of femininity. But that's it's separate, <laughs> separate yeah. topic. But yeah, for sure they're veiled by their, you know, masculine setup. You know, like I'm whatever. You're I'm so a right. warrior, and I can only act this way, and I can only wear yeah. this way. And so, you know, my my vanity would be f- f- feminine. You know, feminine. So I'm like empowered by my, you know, uh, whatever. Um, Raw, rawness, <laughs> my, my, yeah. my machismo, my my lack of effort with my with my appearance, all of that. You're so right, yeah. though. I, you know, I think it is worth exploring together in the sense that the more we uncover ourselves or make space, you know, doing our own work, it really can kind of ripple out and set an example and kind of give permission to everyone around us, men included, that like maybe they don't need to stay so strictly adhering to the rules that they've been given either. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I feel so. I feel that too. And that would have to be their motivation. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's kind of like open up a whole, uh, a whole realm for them to, to play in. Um, yeah, and, and, and yeah, I think that would be wonderful. But yeah, mm-hmm. for 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 women, which is your work currently, um, mm-hmm. it, it's so much. It it's so much. Uh, it, it takes a lot of like repetition, right? And 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 work um, to actually unlearn this ingrained. You know, it's not so much habits, but definitions of things, right? To kind of to kind of defy what we know, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I think of it in this very helpful illustration with that language of covering up as like each kind of rule and and layer is piled on top of your true self, you know, that there is this kind of vibrant sexual being inside of each of us and slowly and maybe sometimes quickly and through trauma and through socialization gets covered up kind of bit by bit. And so then the work of reclaiming her and like resuscitating her is less about trying to become someone new, you know, or become something else, but more about stripping away that stuff so that you're uncovering the real you instead. And I, you know, I don't think it means that we all each have this kind of like secret Mm -hmm. essence that is pure or anything like that. But I do think that like, you know, you can start to get the tools to see, okay, which of these do I want to keep and which were put on me, (laughs) you know? And then like, I might let some of that go. And really then that's what I consider to be like an empowered moment where you get to really decide like, okay, I want this. I'm going to let that fall to the trash and then I'm going to keep going here. And I loved what you said as you were introducing me about, you know, one of the pieces of this that I think sometimes gets overlooked is pleasure 
as a tool for helping you discern which of these layers, you know, you want to keep and which were put on you that you want to strip away. I think being guided by pleasure as an analytic and as a way of thinking about our truth is something that we're only just now getting comfortable with again. You know, I think it feels like it's been so dangerous, but Mm -hmm. I love it as a tool and it's quite um, disruptive. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. I I, I agree. I I definitely think it's like a, a practice of resistance. I don't want to go, yeah. go as far as, as say revolutionary, but yeah, close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you know the whole like patriarchy setup. Um, I mean, patriarchy may not be everybody's favorite word. So whatever their favorite word is for an, <laughs> <laughs> an authority that may be too much on them. Um, sure. That that authority, you know, starts with the Judeo-Christian split, right? Or of, uh, yeah. of body and mind and we don't even want to say the word starts because I don't know where it started maybe it started in ancient Babylonia maybe it's older than the Bible I don't know but I know right. I know it coincides with the primacy of like the you know the masculine and and it coincides with what we know as history uh, written history recon- re- written records right so at some point yeah that all came up together and and Eve My namesake, um, you know, got a little bit of the knowledge, and that made her like a bad rebel, you know, first human. And so, uh, you know, her husband, boyfriend, mate as well, you know, was punished as well as Eve, the thief, right? (laughs) Yeah. Kicked out of like the permanent garden um, because she kind of understood she learned uh, about mortality. I think it's what it is. Mm. You know, she learned about sex and death, right? The two big things here that we're having issues with, you know, as humans. (laughs) (laughs) Always. Always. Perpetual issues. Right. Knowing that (laughs) we're going to die, we can't handle that, (laughs) even though we know it. And, you know, knowing that we come out of each other, out of women, that's too much. Yeah. Right? Too much. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, trying to kind of find ways to, you know, disempower those th- two things or make them like less, less real. So she, totally. she, they come out and they feel, because they feel shame for the first time, right? And that's our original sin or whatever you want to call it, you know, different faiths, different beliefs, atheists, shmatheists, to me it makes no difference. Somewhere, sure. somewhere deep, deep in you, that that dichotomy, you know, is, is strong and well and alive because that's how we all understand language, you know? We yeah. know your mind versus your body, you know, my body wants me to do this, but I know better, <laughs> right? You know, my pleasure, this may make me feel good, but I know that, like, what I think, um, you know, how I think matters more, you know, what what my... What other people think of me matters more, like right. So that kind of like split in the in the in the heart of who we each are is there from our most formative moments. So what you're saying is, you know, as you uncover each each layer of conditioning of lesson of social, you know, tribal conditioning, we get closer to that 
place of, of, of oneness, of, of, of self-union, where, where, right, where I am includes I am my body. Like the body, it's like a somatic um, unveiling. And, and um, yeah, if, if we could find a way, and it seems like that's what you just mentioned, to, to make analysis, you know, study, um, knowledge, body-based, somatic-based, right? Experience, physical experience-based, rather than analytical through reason, then we, we kind of work on evening out that, that extreme imbalance where like the primacy of the, of the thinking masculine or linguistic mind and the and, you know and the kind of low status of the instincts, the pleasure, the you know, the, the high of whatever orgasm or whatever it is, sensation. So yeah, bringing that pleasure to the same kind of status, let's say, as yeah, as thought and reasoning, right? That's amazing. That, to me, that's revolutionary. I completely agree. And it's, um, what should we say? I mean, it really ruffles feathers. <laughs> and I wonder if we could think about why that is. You know, like what could it be in some ways this most innocuous thing, pleasure, shouldn't really be so challenging and confronting, but we see over and over that it really is. And I wonder why that is, why that would be so confronting to the status quo. Right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's experientially, we, I understand why, because, yeah. you know, everything we've been taught comes in, <laughs> you know, the, the moment you actually experience it, you feel that, you know, you've just demoted yourself, you know, yeah. if you could only say like, you know, the, the PhD, you know, professor, <laughs> you would like be so much more uh, comfortable with totally fancy social positioning. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> then if you become, you know, if you are, um, you know, a leader of like women's workshops where they all, you know, sit in a circle naked and, and masturbate. <laughs> and then that's right. like, uh, wait, I, I just went down to, you know, socially, like, what do I tell my parents uh, I'm doing, right? So, totally. it, but that's like really deep. It's deep. <laughs> that's why. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a, a, a revolution, you know, sexual revolution to me, you know, uh, because it involves undoing those feelings of extreme vulnerability and exposure. It's almost like our mind is our, our veil. It's almost like mm. as if our mind, our mind, all, all the, you know, the, the, the vast territory between our ears, <laughs> all of our thoughts and lessons uh, dress us up, you know, so, so they are, are, are covering our mask. And then when, when you uh, remove the, the mask um, and you're exposed, you just feel like so, um, well, the truth is you feel so human. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you, you have 
you know, you have given up all of the social tropes that, you know, that you've created to define you, the stories and the, you know, the money and the, uh, and the different, you know, the branding. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like your hair is a brand, your, your haircut, your eye makeup, your lipstick, your cheekbones, right? Your nails, your everything, what you wear, it's all kind of saying something. And when it's all gone and you're just like a naked, sweaty, <laughs> you know, like um, human in the process of pleasure you you know at the same time find yourself like extremely um vulnerable because you, I am. you're so like everyone you're so common and and mm. yet i think that's that's where our oneness exists right our non-duality exists in that place of of being you know common <laughs> of being the same as everyone you're so right. There is almost this intense vulnerability in being reminded of that. And I think that that's the profound discomfort in getting uncovered as well as the promise of it, you know, and why it would feel exciting, but also like you might die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's why, you know, people like you are there to to help, to lead, to coach, to support, to say, you know, like we had teachers teaching us all through school how to be, you know, to fit in in, in that repressed way. So sure, we're going to need some sort of like mentors and teachers. Right, right. Like a way out of all this. <laughs> yeah. Let alone spaces like this podcast or the other spaces I'm sure you have too where just we can talk about it at all, you know, because yeah. so often you're getting silenced instead. Yeah, you're getting silenced or devalued um, or kind of, uh, you know, uh, co-opted, turned into something else, you know, objectified in some way. Oh, you know, you are doing sex retreats. Oh, you know, are you sexy yourself? Wait, you know, right. it's like, no, like, you know, sex is not sexiness. You know, it's like right. talking about sex or teaching about sex isn't having sex. You know, I'm not having sex with everyone in this retreat. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think. I, I mean, would charge a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, if you, if you are, that's cool. But like... <laughs> That's that is one way, but I don't know that we're evolved enough to kind of trust that way. <laughs> sure, not quite yet. Maybe that's where we're headed. But no, I know what you mean. It's almost like you can't even think about sex without it being about consumption in that way mm -hmm. or pleasing in this kind of objectified gaze way. Mm. And that I think is part of what makes it feel so dangerous, but also so enticing when you think about doing that work just for yourself or just mm. for your own pleasure, kind of like figuring out what your own pleasure, quote unquote, could even possibly mean since so many of us are actively trained not to know. And I think that it really gets at the heart of it, that like 
there would immediately be an evaluation or like, oh, well, do I get to have sex with you or something like that? And it's like part of the symptom of what we're fighting against in some ways is thinking of it only in that one dimensional way rather than as something that doesn't happen to you, but something that you get to have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The agency, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and also the... The, you know, the becoming, you know, coming out of being an object, I think part of this uncovering, um, I think that that's, you know, I, I have a, a little pet theory, you know, I've thought through the years about the, you know, the, the kind of like classic infamous Salome dance, you know, and how Salome, yeah. right, the taking off the, of the seven veils. And I have, you know, and then when she's naked, uh, you know, men like surrender, <laughs> whatever, yeah. whatever, you know, that, that's, that's like the, uh, the, the setup as it's presented to us. And I feel that that surrender that they're afraid of where they lose their mind, right. And they will agree to anything. Uh, I feel that that surrender is the surrender to the true self. It's the surrender to like you're naked, exposed. She's just exposed. She's just a naked woman. There is nothing special about her except the fact that she is able to, to choose to be naked in front of men who she's not married to. <laughs> uh, and, and I feel that that is what kind of like, you know, disempowers everyone um, in, in that fable, in that story. So yeah, that's like the uncovered, the uncoveredness um, becomes a, an, an, an extreme um, revelation for both, for the, for the one looking, for the one gazing, and for the one being gazed or doing the uncovering. So it's it's a, it's a it's a danger that goes both ways, and if both parties or whoever is there, if it's a group, the group, you know, treat it with with respect and consciousness, it can be transformative. You know, so if if the the gazer, if the viewer, uh, if, if 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 the one who is not doing the uncovering. Mm-hmm. Uh, does not take advantage, does not rape and, and, and you know, uh, loot and... <laughs> right, right, and, harm. And pillage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> then, then, you know, that, that, then that, the participation is shared. Doesn't matter who is unveiling and, and who is not, you know, you don't both have to do it simultaneously. So, like, if you are there as a guide, I feel that you yourself, um, you know, experience this this kind of the power, the transformative power of letting go. Um, right. And if you share in your sister's unveiling in some other way in your, you know, in group. Yeah, and that's very therapeutic. So tell me a little, I, if I remember correctly in your, in your bio, you were a religious and you were in a marriage. And so a lot of your, um, you know, change and entering this path happened in the process of the of the dissolution of your marriage that's right my own uncovering yeah. <laughs> you could say. yeah um yeah that is a great memory it just like so many women I had this experience of being in a religious community that I actually deeply loved you know and didn't feel 
particularly oppressed by or anything like that. But um, pleasure and sexuality was a huge missing piece. And it was not part of what was allowed, you know, not expressly forbidden so much as just not talked about. And then certainly not part of what as a woman, you know, you were allowed to ask for. And so when I was married and I got married young, I just found myself not knowing what my pleasure even looked like, you know, like how would I even begin to ask for it? What would it mean if I were to want more? How, how, how old were you when you got married? I was 23. Okay, yeah. And, and yeah. And were you a virgin or at least a virgin other than with this partner that you married? Yeah. We had waited to have sex okay, yeah, yes. before marriage. And so even though I was already I was already a feminist and I was already active in all these ways, there was this piece around sexuality and spirituality that just felt kind of like you couldn't have one. You couldn't have what you wanted. <laughs> in fact, right. you know, I remember feeling like it's probably best to not even really know what you want because then you maybe are selfish and greedy or something like that. <laughs> and it was just like a really interesting thing to navigate and to think about kind of what the role of pleasure could be in destabilizing a situation like that, even though... That was never my intention, but that's what happened. You know, when I started to listen to that voice, that was like, well, I think I want a little more. And it ended up being quite a problem. So your husband was also a Christian or a, a religious practitioner with the same? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, it's in a way like... It's a sad story for me sometimes because there are things, of course, that I would have done differently. You know, I didn't have, if I had had like the tools that now I create, you know, I think I could have learned a language to talk about what I needed and figure out how to get it without necessarily blowing the whole thing up. <laughs> but, yeah. but at the time, like, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew I needed more. And so I left and it was a huge betrayal. And then, you know, as I did my own healing over the next 10 years and figured out what the role was of pleasure in my kind of true expression, I was able to sort of look back and see like, oh, you weren't bad and selfish. You just like needed a way to think about these things that wasn't available at the time. And, you know, what's been really amazing is that some of the other women that I was in close contact with in that phase of my life have reached out since then. And some have even joined some of my programs because whether they, yeah. And, you know, I never thought, I mean, I was, I was pretty much kicked out, you know, rightfully so, because I was a danger, but I never thought that day would come where it would feel like we really got to have some resolution. And for the other women in the group, they were finally like, you know, 
we want pleasure too. Like we want more. We don't necessarily all need to go get divorced, <laughs> but we want we want this to feel better. Yeah. So I I hope that we're able to take advantage of this moment of you know un, of traumatic kind of unrest to learn Absolutely. collectively, you know, before we uh, go on with our lives to, to learn to kind of avoid the extreme compartmentalization of modern life where, yeah. you know, we work in our tiny little categories and um, we have sex in our tiny categories <laughs> right? <laughs> and we identify, yeah. you know, in our tiny little pronouns and that's that <laughs> and, and, mm. and, and try a, a, all of our other kind of like, you know, capacities, just try them out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that it, it, a trauma you know, an extreme discomfort and, and a sort of psychic disease or physical disease like COVID is now and like, you know, the, like you experienced in your marriage that brought on the divorce. Uh, I experienced the same many times in my life and each, each yeah. time of such, you know, extreme discomfort where I had to leave everything and just run away, so to speak, you know, and, and start over taught me a lesson, a, a, a very big lesson about knowing who I am and what my hard limits are and how to, to share that with the people I love, to rework the writing. You would like, and that's what, what I call speak sex. It's basically the same thing. You, know, you would like to uh, share with your partner who you're becoming, the new words, the new terms, the new meanings that you have discovered uh, about yourself in the process of just being alive and living life and getting experience and getting older and wiser a little bit and and putting that in the script of the original vows or you know promises um and that should be our understanding of language that, of our words you know that they keep changing and we can't just kind of, you know this idea of like my word is my you know I'll do anything to keep my word is just not realistic and it's another kind of masculine thing um, totally but it's not real life right especially right. And when you're like 24 and you've, you right. know, have no experience <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I love the name speak sex because of that very thing, you know, you're really honoring the truth, which is that our words and our understanding, especially of ourselves is evolving. And, you know, there is an integrity to staying in curiosity around what's true for me right now. Who am I right now? Knowing that the answers to that can change, especially if you're 24. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, you know, honoring, I mean, you know, I'm kind of like repeating what we were just saying, honoring and respecting the people you're with, you know, the other enough to, 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 to trust them to be able to hear and understand. Mm, I love that. Right. And take you in instead of yeah. just giving up on them and, Right. And and saying, well, someone knew if I start over with someone else, you know, I'll know the words better. And, mm. you know, where in fact, even if you start over with someone else and the original wording is uh, better because you understand yourself as you now are better uh, in time, the same thing will most likely happen again. You'll reach. Right. 
a lack of understanding and you'll have to explain all over again in new words. And then what happens? Mm. You know, do you like destroy that? <laughs> it, it seems that, you know, trusting um, each other to, to speak and hear truth is, uh, you know, is a big game changer. Absolutely. I love that. And I think that one of the things that feels so true about that is that there is more of like a responsibility and an invitation for us to know how to speak our own truth and our own selves so that we can continue to share it in a way that feels true. And that it's not about really being with the perfect person or starting over all the time, but just trusting yourself that you'll know the words and trusting the people around you that they can hear it. And that in each moment, you'll be able to uncover like what is real here and what needs to happen next. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. And to do that, you know, you should like uh, read the books, listen to these podcasts, you know, take the classes, kind of like stay right. informed so that you see what speaks to you. You can kind of like be inventing it alone, you know, uh, right. late at night in bed or in your dream journal. Or sure. <laughs> you, you know, language is something that we all make together. So mm. kind of bringing yourself, you know, participating and joining in and listening and speaking and sharing is all part of it. So that's where the value of, of, of all this, um, you know, programming comes in and why it's, it's essential. I do, I mean, I do definitely, my life's dream would be to have like a huge audience and, uh, you know, to, to be able to be heard by the people who need it the most, which is, you know, like not preaching to the converted, so to speak. <laughs> right, right, right. Just talking yeah. to each other, all yeah. the people who agree yeah. with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually being able to kind of like get, you know, the, get this out to the ones who are still living their life as if there were no alternative, you know, if, as yeah. if this is the only way to communicate and function. Uh, yeah, and and again, this time of like quarantine is a good time for that because you know, right, right, a lot of free time. So you're absolutely right, and we have to go inside anyway. We may as well go all the way in. Right. So tell me how uh, some examples of of the work that you do in your uh, coaching, in your classes, in your you know, in your retreats, um, in your research. Mm-hmm. Of you know, yeah. you you kind of like teach teach uh, or help people help people use their pleasure and their desire to 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 find to overcome their their shame and their scarring and and, and instead of like repress their sex appeal to to uncover it something like that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, the main offer that I have that I work with people in is this online program that is a mix of tools and resources that they can watch and listen to and then live coaching where they can ask questions. And there's a call each week on sexuality and then a call each week on self-care because, you know, I just I find that they go hand in hand together. So being able to really explore, you know, maybe a training on sexual trauma 
and then to go watch like a training on pleasure and then to join a call and be able to ask a question that maybe you've never been able to ask anyone before, you know, and to have it be in community, which is of course scary for some people and such a relief for most people too, because they're like, Oh, I'm not alone. You know, like I'm not the only one that wondered this or that felt this way. So I love that online ability to bring us together across time and space. And then of course, being in person is amazing, you know, when we're allowed to again. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and how do we, yeah. how do people find you? Yes, it's at theuncoveredwoman.com. Mm. So that's the site. That's where everything lives. Yeah. And, um, you know, I love, I love creating communities where we're able, just like you, where we're able to have these conversations because I really think the more of that that exists, you know, if each of us goes out and then we create that community too, and then they're just a bunch, you know, that would be my dream where it's just the new normal that these topics are not yeah. off limits, that women's pleasure is not off limits, that healing from trauma is not off limits. And that it would just become basically that we would work ourselves out of a job, <laughs> you know, and then we could go yeah. sell flowers or wow. something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, hallelujah. I, I don't expect yeah. it happening in my lifetime, but yeah, yeah that, that's the dream. Yeah. And yeah. you know, turning like talk therapy into a version of somatic therapy, you know, making language yeah. a little more. Uh, in tune with like our physical yeah. and body uh, reality uh, right. <clears throat> and also being you know staying becoming conscious and staying conscious you know I think it's yeah. a, 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 a big part of it that's difficult you know because each time you uncover something you uh, may have missed something, right? So each right. day, you know, it, right. the work is not so easily undone. I mean, think of how many decades created this narrative of you that you associate with who you are. So, yeah, you know, because like even now with the Zoom, you know, uh, meetings and I feel that, you know, online sexual coercion is possible, you know, virtual object, yeah. virtual objectification is very possible, you know, like yeah. you can re-victimize yourself, re-objectify yourself and, and think that you've dealt with that and then you find yourself in a new situation. Absolutely. And it, can just insidiously start again. Yeah, you're so right. And I think it's all the more reason to really seek out spaces and resources like this podcast and others where they can feel where we can all feel like we have tools to think through changing landscapes, even when we don't know what the changes will be next, you know, but we'll know more and more how to think about how we feel in them. Right. And just, you know, kind of like committing to this process of truth finding and being like, yeah, yeah, on the side of truth in life is important. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, and yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So uncoveredwoman.com, which I love. I love the name. I love everything it signifies. And mm. uh, <laughs> thank you for, for doing that. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to definitely stay in touch with your career. 
Thank you for coming on the podcast. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm so glad to be connected to you and your work and that we could just begin these conversations more and more and um, keep directing people to one another because it's such, such important overlap. Yes. Thank you. Yes. It's so, you know, it, it, creating a real community where we, you know, where we can be ourselves um, without kind of lying to ourselves, I, I think is, you know, revelatory. Absolutely. <laughs> it really, really is. Like liberation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we need it now more than ever. Yes. Yes. So thank you, Kimberly, so much for sharing and, um, being with us today and thank you everybody out there who is listening and as always believe Eve and keep speaking sex if I could make love incessantly I would be God